Hey there, everybody. Welcome back to the pod and the pendulum. Uh, We are doing something a little bit different in between some of our episodes where we tackle different movies. We're just going to kind of have these like little mini episodes, these like shoot the shit shows where they'll be like, you know, 20, 30 minutes long. uh, And it'll be uh, us kind of like getting some of the crew together just to talk about whatever we're watching or listening to or what's entertaining us. And it will be with some of our rotating uh, crew. So up first to the plate, you just heard him on our Child's Play episode. You know him as the host of the Bloody Blunts Cinema Club podcast. Welcome back, Devon Taylor. Devon, how are we? I'm doing fantastic. Thank you for having me on a nice little, yeah, short little something. something. It's nice to just kind of get to bounce around a little bit. and It is, man. It is. Um because sometimes I just feel like so hyper focused on whatever we're covering. It's kind of nice to kind of kick back and say, hey, here's some other stuff that we're watching. So I'm going to let you do the honors because you suggested a movie that I really enjoy uh, that you rewatched again recently. What uh, what did you want to talk about first? So, yeah, um, I mean, mainly in this past month, I've been watching a lot of uh, slasher stuff and kind of reevaluating how I feel about that subgenre it's never been a favorite of mine but it's never been Mm -hmm. one i dislike either but um now i've been you know after kind of going back through all the scream movies Mm -hmm. and then um uh and i love uh the child's play movies obviously i'm still excited to talk about some more of those Mm -hmm. and um you know so i have a little bit more of an appreciation for him and um so i finally this was actually a first time watch i didn't Mm -hmm. rewatch it this was the first time um, I've been meaning to watch Behind the Mask, The Rise of Leslie Vernon for like mm-hmm. literally years. It's been sitting on my watch list. I don't know how long. And for some reason, just never got around to it because, yep. I mean, I love found footage movies. Um, but again, like I wasn't always super interested in slashers. And uh, man, this thing is awesome. Like yeah. it really is such a good time. The way that it, you know, play it, it does that perfect balance of like, you know, playing with the tropes and the silliness of slasher movies, but then also still um, paying a lot of respect to it as well. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, treating slashers like an industry and like, um, and really highlighting like what I, what I have found to be the most interesting part of slashers, which is like the legacy, like, you know, what are like the iconic notes of a certain slasher, you know, what makes them them, what, like what between their story, the way that they kill people, their mask, like all the little things that go into it. And it's like so perfectly told through a slasher who is like essentially like a blue collar slasher kind mm-hmm. of guy um, trying to, you know, cement his legacy. And, uh, and I love him. Leslie Vernon is yeah. such an amazing character. So I, I loved this movie. I really dug it too. I think I watched it years ago, like when it, not when it first came out, but when it was first starting to kind of get like the, um, 
attention of a lot of horror fans and horror blogs back in the day. And then I think I, I just rewatched it like at the turn of the year. Um, and it had a greater appreciation for it like 10 years after watching it the first mm-hmm. time. Cause it, it, um, I'm a sucker for a mockumentary. Like I like yeah. found footage movies, but I'm more of a sucker for like the mockumentaries. Um, and I found like the performance, like really entertaining and really fun. Mm-hmm. Um, it's one of those movies that I think for years there's been talk about doing like a sequel or a follow up to it. And I know that there's allegedly one in pre-production. I would like to see where it goes, but I know I just like how it kind of subverts expectations a bit. Like you have the character that you think is the virgin and then, you know, he walks in and she's like going buck wild, you know, and you're like, Mm -hmm. wait a minute, wasn't expecting that. Or just the way it like explains, here's how we're going to set up what's going to happen right now. And then when you see it play out, it's really fun. Yeah. Like, I mean, I really, like I said, like the taking this like blue collar, like working angle of it, like, you know, Leslie Vernon, he, he's really working hard for this. Like he really mm-hmm. makes it out to be, you know, being a slasher is this grueling process and it's a long game mm-hmm. type of thing. And like, yeah. you know, like just in the performance, I was like, you know what? I want this for him. Like, I want him to get this, you mm-hmm. know, like I would. So in, yeah. in that way, it felt really fun. And it's, you know, we there's always those movies that's like, you know, we appreciate it, you know, years and years down the line, like 2006, like for the things that they were kind of like tackling as far as like, you know, in their subversions is super interesting. And I would love to see the follow up mm-hmm. now, because especially with, you know, the social media angle, um, you know, Scream kind of took some of that and um, we could see a little bit more of that in mm-hmm. uh, in a behind the mask part two. Yeah. And it's one of those movies, like, obviously, when people talk about Scream, they talk about, like, the self-aware elements of that movie. And I think depending on the entry, it works or doesn't work. Like, to me, like, the first Scream works really well because those elements are there, but they're not necessarily, like, the focus of the movie. Like, you have Randy's speech, you have, like, the video store scene, and you have, like, the fact that all of the characters like no horror movies exist and that to me is enough you get to the third movie and it's a little bit like oh um here are the rules of a trilogy and you're like okay now you're just stretching uh you know now you're just trying to really make this work where i think movies like behind the mask and then others like cabin in the woods and um you might be the killer are up to more like self-aware horror movies that have a lot of fun playing with the tropes uh, in ways that are like really unique and fun to watch. Yeah, totally. Like um, definitely love both of those as well. Another, um, I actually got to see this one on 35 millimeter for the first time, like in a theater setting, Mm -hmm. uh, the final girls from 2015, which is another, uh, you know, meta kind of um, Mm self-aware homage to slashers specifically like Friday the 13th and the burning Um, And it's really fun, but it's also a very heartfelt story and, um, you know, between a mother and a daughter and, you know, what it would be Mm -hmm. like to kind of see that a parent again, you know, if they had passed in some form or another, while also just having so much fun with uh, the format of uh, the slasher. Absolutely. 
You would, you know, you started the conversation by saying that like slashers aren't necessarily always your favorite, but you've gotten a greater appreciation for them as you've like done your show, especially covering Scream the past couple months. Like, you know, and I think you're right. Slashers can be really feast or famine. What do you look for in a good slasher? Um, see, when it comes to slashers, um, you know, in, in other movies in horror, like I tend to kind of look at the the premise and the world a little bit more. And like I'm that's kind of the stories that I lean into. But as far as slashers go, for me, it's all about the the char- the, the iconography of the slasher itself. So, mm-hmm. you know, for me, there's I kind of have like different tiers like. The C tier for me is like Michael and Jason, you know, they're the the classics, the archetypes, you know, that have like, you know, the story, they have one mm-hmm. purpose and, you know, the the sequels, you know, range in, um, you know, quality, if you will. And everybody kind of has their different favorites. And then there's like the B tier would be like Leatherface and Ghostface. You know, they're kind of like the wild cards. Like sometimes they have mm-hmm. really great entries. Sometimes they don't. And you kind of, but you never know what you're going to get because like it kind of, you know, changes within the story quite often. So for like me, the A tier, those are like your Chucky or Freddy's um, it, just because it's like when you have that, that consistency across like a list of sequels, you know, mm-hmm. and you have, you know, the character that is known, you know, it's like, you know, their voice, you know, their catchphrases, you know, their style. And then also when you have an actor, you can attach to that as well um to really kind of keep that creative consistency then that's like my like top what i sure. for in a slasher absolutely and i think that's why you know you mentioned with Ghostface, like it's always a ghost face killer in screen but it's always someone different under the mask for a whodunit it's interesting you mentioned texas chainsaw massacre because to me that is um a series where like if i look at the big four like nightmare on elm street halloween friday the 13th and the texas chainsaw massacre you can make a legitimate argument that tcm is the best of the four like i think it holds up best of this day i think it's the one that you could still show an audience now and they would still be like terrified watching that movie Mm -hmm. where um I think Halloween is a masterpiece, but might not be scary to modern audiences. Um, But then you go through the series and it's like, there is a precipitous drop off in quality as you start going through the series. Yeah. Like for me, like TCM, like I love, I love the TCM movies. And I think that franchise is like most dependent, like on your personal taste, because like the, Mm -hmm. the entries throughout the series you know, are tonally all over the place um, if you want. But it's like, you know, you can pick the ones that you do enjoy. So it's like if you if you are somebody that likes Leatherface with more lore, then you have the prequels you can watch, Mm -hmm. you know, with the the remake and then the prequel to it. And then that has like another prequel. So it's like if you want more lore, you have that option. If you don't, if you want just silly uh, fun, you have that in two. And then like three is like kind of like another back to basics one. And then the next mm-hmm. generation is something. <laughs> I just rewatched that Saturday night and it was a choice, you know, and as I'm sitting there <laughs> and I'm like thinking of like the, 
I'm looking at my DVD shelf and I'm like, I've got the Hitchcock box set, the Spielberg box set, all of these like classic movies that I haven't cracked open yet. And here I am at 1 a.m. on a Saturday watching the um, next generation. And I'm like, my God, this is a terrible movie. Like what choices am I making where this is what I'm doing on a Saturday right now? It's just poor. I mean, it's if you if you think about it, you could kind of look at Rob Zombie's House of a Thousand Corpses as like a better version of what the next oh, yeah. generation was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. I would say that and also the French movie Frontiers. Like to me, that movie Frontiers, that is to still to me the best remake of a Texas Chainsaw Massacre mm-hmm. that we ever received. Like, oh interesting yeah i still haven't i still haven't watched that one it's a tough watch um it is basically watching a young woman become traumatized over the course of 90 minutes to the point where she's like physically shaking and has tremors on screen through all of the horror that she's been put through it's a tough watch i mean not that i enjoy that but it sounds like my type of movie like definitely be your gym like as because as far as like if you're comparing it to Texas Chainsaw, like my favorite is like either mm-hmm. the original or the remake because I like the more mm-hmm. uh, visceral versions of those sure. movies, you know, as compared to the sillier mm-hmm. ones or um, you know, the other or yeah, some of the prequel stuff. So it's like that's more where sure. I. I I think I have a greater appreciation for the remake after seeing a lot of the remakes that came in its wake. I think that it's the one that at least tries to be very true to the spirit of the first one, if different in execution. I think mm-hmm. the follow-up to it is actually really strong, like surprisingly strong. Um, mm-hmm. th- I thought that the prequel was actually like a solid entry in the series. Um, I, I think we're going to get to, t- I got to sit down and map out, the rest of 2022, but I'm thinking like this will be the year that we actually do Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I mean, which... we do have uh, Fede Alvarez's version come in too, so it could, uh, it could be somewhere yeah. around in there. I forget when the release. We'll date see what happens. Is. Have you have you tackled French horror on Bloody Blunts yet? I know you do themed episodes. Have you tackled French horror yet? I don't think i've really gotten to do a ton i think the only like french films that we've covered would be uh let the right one in we did cover that one at Mm -hmm. some point i know i really want to talk inside at some point because i love that one Mm -hmm. um but Mm -hmm. yeah i I definitely want to do like a month dedicated to it um like i've gotten to do a month dedicated to j-horror and that was a lot of fun yep so i think a whole month of french horror would be pretty awesome when you tackle inside uh, Jen Adams, who does psychoanalysis, like she's the main host of my other show, mm-hmm. um, she would probably love to jump in on that one Ooh, because like she recently watched it for the first time and fell in love with it. And I know for me, like I, I covered it for this show and I'm like, I never want to watch this movie again. Um, fun fact. That episode. That yeah. Really and, and fun fact for new listeners, I believe the night my daughter was conceived was the night that we watched Inside. So there you go. If anyone wanted to know. That's you know, wild. I know. I mean, of all the movies that makes you want to, 
have a kid and get pregnant, like that is not one I would pick. Um, speaking about kind of like meta textual um, media. So I've been watching the show the past week. I'm about three episodes in eight are posted right now, and they're going to do a second season and then call it. So AMC has a movie. I'm uh, uh, sorry. AMC has a uh, show called Kevin can F himself. Um, mm. It is basically a takedown of the classic sitcom trope of like the super schlubby husband who marries like way out of his league and has like mm-hmm. the beleaguered gorgeous wife that mm. you can't believe is with this person. Um, and the way it's structured is it starts out exactly like a three camera sitcom set up with like a laugh track, like think mm-hmm. like King of Queens or yeah. world according to Jim, like that mm-hmm. type of, of show um, home improvement. And you have like Eric Peterson plays Kevin and he's like, he's a total mass hole. Like um, one episode revolves around him ordering a Bill Belichick worn hoodie. Um, and he, it's painful to watch him. He's such an unaware jackass. It's painful to watch him and it's painful to watch his wife, but there'll be moments like they're doing it as a sitcom and then she'll leave the room and it goes to like film stock or like desaturated colors. Um, and it becomes like her actual point of view and, the first season, again, only three episodes in, it revolves around her basically planning to murder her husband so she can get away from him because she knows that if she just leaves, she has no money and she'll get sucked back into being with him. And you just see like the agony that she's going through um, being with him. And it goes dark. I mean, the first episode, she ends up like buying Coke from a, uh, you know, so yeah, this show like it goes to some really dark places. Um, it deals with like the oxycotton crisis. It deals with kind of like who kind of lower income or like lower middle class poverty and this feeling of just being stuck in a rut your whole life or kind of like settling for a life that you don't really want. Um, it gets really really dark, and I'm really it so far it's not quite horror although i might argue it had some horror elements to it which uh i think make it totally worth checking out and it's on the uh amc app is where you can get it um and i'm sure you can buy like episodes on amazon or voodoo for a couple bucks bucks each but kevin can f himself like i am hooked on that show right now i i I would check that out are they um are they um 30 minute episodes are they hour format they're like 40 minutes. They're like 42 minutes oh, or okay. so. So it's like an hour long drama, okay. but you cut out the commercials. You're at like 42 to 44 minutes. And it should be interesting to see, you know, it's kind of split between like the sitcom aspect of it. And then the, uh, her point of view, like what she's actually feeling aspect of it. So that's, yeah. Oh, and it's filmed like in, it's filmed in like the Brockton slash Worcester area. So kind of my neck of the woods. So the Massachusetts accents are very extreme. Hmm. Interesting. I would definitely um, be interested in that because it, it kind of sounds like, you know, it would take, even though, like you said, it's not like super, like it's not horror, but like I've mm-hmm. always had 
a, a like an idea that it would be cool if like if you took like kind of shameless but if like you made it kind of more of a horror like aspect like as that's as a good comparison because like, like shameless like has like because shameless is like you know dark in like a like almost like a requiem for a dream kind of way except if mm-hmm. they're just more melodrama but like if you yep. took out some of the melodrama and then if they went into some like darker places i think that would mm-hmm. be like something like super cool um you know so maybe that if it's like kind of similar to that that's a good shameless is actually a pretty good comparison um it's not quite like the people aren't quite as effed up as that um mm-hmm. like cuz that's a show that gets like it's a pretty shitty family to begin with um but like definitely like a darker like king of queens type of of show it's interesting, interesting and they yeah and they're only going to do two seasons so it has a finite Definitive point in it ending coming. yeah mm-hmm. so it's not mm-hmm. something that's going to drag on cuz i don't know how long you could really drag that conceit on um yeah but it's 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 really and again like part of it is like you know, being someone from the Boston area and seeing, you know, like one bit revolves around like being upset because like Tom Brady left for Tampa and you're like, yep, that tracks for this area. Like, you know, that Mm -hmm. totally tracks for here. So um, it's interesting. Speaking of which, as we record this as of like an hour ago, um, David Ortiz was elected to the baseball hall of fame and I may have shed a couple tears and my wife may have laughed at me. So congratulations, big fucking poppy. I love that man. All right. All right. Oh, he deserves it. Moving 100% on. 100% deserves it. 100% deserves it. Um, all right, my friend, what's one more pick from you? What is something else you've been kind of watching or, or listening to right now? I mean, it's, you know, what what a lot of horror Twitter has been talking about for the past couple of months and it's season just wrapped up but season two is coming buzz Mm -hmm. buzz buzz if you're not watching yellow jackets i don't know what you're doing it is just um it's Mm -hmm. fantastic you know the acting across the board with this double cast of like you know younger and older versions of each characters and um Mm -hmm. the 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 mix of the survival aspect like survival horror aspects along with just like you know general melodrama as well but then like all this like kind of dark you know you know secrets backstabbing all these different things you got some cult shit Mm -hmm. um you know it's got it all and i'm very um i i thoroughly enjoyed the ride of the first season i'm excited to see what season two like excellent what what they do so my friend just hooked me up. We traded streaming network passwords. So she just hooked me up there with you go. a Showtime Anywhere account. And this Saturday, allegedly, we're going to have like a foot and a half of snowfall. So I think that's going to be the day that like my wife and I just hit the sofa and binge the shit out of that show. Um, so I, I think, will finally I catch perfect, up on all the actually. hype. That's the perfect setting. All right. The last, yeah, excellent. So I'm excited for that. So the last thing I'm going to mention that I'm excited about, it's more about music. It is, I know, like last week, a lot of people were excited because, like, the When We Are Young, the When We Were Young uh, festival posted, which is that going to be that kind of like emo light um, 
festival, like one day fest out in Las Vegas. And I remember like looking at the lineup and there are a few good bands there and I don't want to yuck anyone's yum. Mm -hmm. And I know that I'm going to sound like this guy a little bit, but I'm looking at the lineup and I'm like, that's not those. That's not emo. Like those aren't the kind of emo punk bands I grew up with. Um, And I was still listening to that back when those bands are in their heyday. Um, And it just never tracked with me. And I was kind of like, eh, but that same day I read um, Jawbreaker is doing a 25th anniversary set of shows around their album, Dear You, where they're going to play that in its entirety. Um, that to me is a real emo record. And I mm-hmm. uh, and they said it came out in 95, so it's actually 27 years. But they're like, look, past two years don't count. Um, so I've already booked a flight to go see them out in Denver. Uh, stay with my friends, Brad and Becky out there uh, and have a time of it. And then they announced a Boston show after that. Um, So I'll be going to that. uh, And they're going to be playing in Denver. They're playing with the Descendants. So my all-time favorite and all-time like third favorite band are playing along with um, Sam I Am is the other band and Face to Face. So four bands I fucking love. And then they're playing with the Lemonheads in Boston and the Lemonheads are going to break out all of It's a Shame About Ray in its entirety uh, along with their other stuff. So I am, and my wife was like, they're doing that. I may have to go to the show too. So I'm fucking pumped. Just saw Jawbreaker two years ago when they finally reunited, wept, pogo punked, pogo fucking pitted the whole time you know, lost eight pounds in the pit. Um, <laughs> saw all the old punks from 95. It was like a class reunion. So I can't wait. I really can't wait. I mean, you can't ask for more than that. Honestly, when I saw the poster for the We Were Young Fest, I thought it was mm-hmm. fake. I was like, how are they really going to get all of these? I thought mm-hmm. it, I, I didn't think it was real. It felt like a dream. Yep. But like, you know, because this is like, it, it, yes, it's not true emo. This is like my mm-hmm. era's emo and i call it and that's okay yeah yeah i I know terminology Mm -hmm. gets sticky but i would say we this is like the the post emo um you know this is it right here i mean i would still love to see like paramore live and like taking back sunday sure used like i mean i i love those bands still so i mean i think it'll be fun i probably won't make it but it would be dope Anyone excited to go to that, I am excited for you to go to that. Like, I am not going to yuck your thumb. Like, if you're super pumped for that, by all means, I hope you go and have the best fucking time because music rules. Um, all right. Uh, we're going to, like, it does. So, we're going to pin it there. We're going to do these, like, like I said, in between, like, once a month in between the main episodes, we're going to bring you these little mini shows. Cause I, like, in October, we did episodes like this. They were kind of focused, but kind of not. They were like 30, 40 minutes. Um, and I really enjoyed them. I just kind of enjoyed a little bit like of the looseness of it overall. So Devon, man, thanks for joining us in, you know, we know you, we can find you here, but where else can everyone find you? Uh, the people can find me on the social medias at underscore daddy disco. Mm-hmm. I do shorts and photography and all sorts of other things. And then um, you can listen to my podcast, the Bloody Blunt Cinema Club, across all major platforms. And you can follow us at Bloody Blunt's Pod. So 
I'm excited to uh, talk more with you, Mike. I, I always excellent, have a good time. man. Excellent. Well, you can find us at Pod and Pendulum over on Twitter, um, where we're asking you questions like, "What's the shadiest thing you've bought in a back alley in celebration of Child's Play?" We got some interesting answers that we'll share when we do Child's Play too. Um, you can find us at podandthependulum.com. Please rate, review, and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast. And we'll be back in a little in a one week with Child's Plate 2. Have a great week. <laughs>